0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Did she believe
1: in any myth? Did Marcia believe in any myths? Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. Like, legends. I have no idea. I'm not sure. Was she religious? She was spiritual. She just, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, she she, be- she believed in something called be here now. Where you have to be there now? Yeah, like be in the moment. Be here now. I Be here don't, now. Like, don't think ahead. Or I not to the past. Now. Just think in the moment. Exactly. Be here I now. I am
0: here now. That's Jamie talking to her sons, my grandkids, Grady and Benjamin. As we've been digging through Marsha's past, they've heard a lot about her life. Sometimes they have questions, which we usually try to answer. Marsha was a spiritual person. Specifically, she was into the teachings of Ram Das. A lot of us were.
1: What we're talking about here are very subtly varying techniques for working with where you're stuck. One of
0: them
2: is taking the stuckness and using it to see the way in which you are clinging. You just
1: understand that once you feel any suffering at all, it's because you're clinging. And you know that in your head. Suffering, ah, clinging. No clinging, no suffering.
0: Ram Das was a psychologist and a colleague of Timothy Leary in psychedelic research. In 1971, Ram Das published a book of spiritual teachings called Be Here Now, and it became a sort of countercultural Bible. The book is highly designed, each page has a smattering of different fonts and symbols. It's the kind of book you might pick up and leaf through while you're tripping. I had a copy. Marsha had a copy, which D.L. now has. It's one of her most prized possessions. Here is her copy of Be Here Now. But thought this might be a first edition, and it is the 20th printing in 1977, is her copy. Actually, it's sort of a pretty book now that I look at it. It's graphically busy. Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) Inspired by Marcia and really this whole podcast, I decided to buy the book. I keep it on my nightstand. The texts and graphics are pretty out there, and I don't understand most of it, but those three words help me feel grounded. I find myself saying them a lot lately Be here now. That hasn't always been easy when we've been spending so much time in the past. Revealing, reliving, remembering. So, to wrap things up, we're going to figure out what to make of both Marcia's story and our own. Now. I'm Karen Zellermeyer. And I'm Jamie Zellermeyer. This is I Was Never There, Episode 8.
2: Okay, so what are we doing here? It's time, It's time to bring this to a close as a as a crew, as we've now been, I've tagged along on your journey for long enough, and it's time to wrap up.
1: That's our executive producer, Jenny Kaplan. She's been with us through it all, helping us figure out how to tell this story how to stay true to Marsha and ourselves. And Jenny is going to help us figure out how to end a story that really doesn't have an end. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nervous. Nervous? Yeah, a little. How
0: come? I've been pretty revealing throughout this process. It's like, oh God, now what? For one last time, we recorded an interview for this podcast. We piled into the studio, and this time, we answered the questions instead of asking them.
2: I feel like throughout this process, we've really been wrestling with the complicated person who was Marsha. But from the start, she was one of your best friends, Karen, one of the people who you grew up with, Jamie. So how would you describe... Marsha now, how have your feelings about her maybe changed over the course of producing this podcast?
0: There was something off. There was something off. Something, I I think maybe, you know, we talk a lot about dark and light. I always thought she was principally light with a little dark. Now it feels more like the dark, her moral compass what it I don't know what happened, but it's a, definitely a more complicated I'm her folk hero status as is pretty tarnished for me.
1: It's funny I think and maybe it's not directly answering the question, but I feel grateful. That somehow, some way, her spirit is allowing us to tell her story. I mean, shes we've been on this journey, the two of us, in collaboration with our team for two years. But we've also been on this journey in collaboration with Marsha for two years. So, I don't know, in some ways I feel a lot of respect for her for traveling on this journey with us. How do you think people will
0: feel about her or think about her after listening to this
1: podcast? I don't know. I mean, I went into this thinking that there was a lot of light and that we were going to tell this story of the Back to the Land movement and this journey of hope. It was going to be a lot of sunshine and roses. And and I think a lot of it has been, but the drugs are dark. And I, I'm not even sure we've even dug beneath the surface, to be honest. Um, partially intentionally, I mm-hmm. think we've been very careful about that, that that's that if we're going to go on this journey with her, we have to keep the line of respect in both directions, but
2: also be honest with the Listeners, everyone will come to this with their own background. And I think, Jamie, you shared it from the beginning that you wanted to tell the story because it's how you grew up and it's so different from how many other people grew up. But this is like a comfortable place for you because it's how you were raised. And I would say that it, in a lot of ways, couldn't be more different from how I was raised. But I think everyone will come at this and hopefully see the shared human parts, the like complexity of this person who had a lot of different parts of who she was.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the people I'm most concerned about are the people who knew her. There's a lot of nostalgia for that time and that place and that person. And I by no means want to take away those good or positive feelings that people have and I think it's okay to still see that she was complicated and that she was human and that mm-hmm. doing some of those things doesn't take away from the other things that she did. We found a lot of duality in Marsha's story. There was the Marcia we knew and the Marsha we learned about. There's also the possibility that Marsha is still out there or that she isn't remember when we were talking about what happened to Marsha mm-hmm so what do you think can you tell me what you got what you think happened to Marsha
2: she died probably
1: you think she died but yeah why why what would make? What makes you think that? Well, no one's heard of her for like wait how? Long, like a long, a long time. And I don't think she would have just left for so long and never even said like hi to anybody she knew before, like her kids or something. Or Nana. Or Nana. Or DL. Or DL.
0: So now is the time when we have to come out and say we haven't solved the final mystery. We haven't determined what exactly led to Marsha's disappearance, where she went,
1: or what happened to her. In a way, looking more closely at Marsha's life and the risks she was taking has actually made us feel less
2: certain, more confused. When you started even ahead of when I joined up. What did you think happened to Marsha?
1: I guess originally when we first started this project, I thought she was dead. I just, I think partially because that's what my mother thought and I never really talked about it that much with my dad, but I'm assuming that's what he thought too and it's just the easier answer and when someone's gone for so long, I think that's just it inevitably kind of the easier place to go? She was dead. She was absolutely dead.
0: It was a drug deal. Gone wrong in some ways. But she was dead, and that was what happened. What do you think now? I don't have a fucking clue. Really, I don't have a clue. Sometimes I think that given some of what we've heard anything is possible she could have just left it's a, that's a hard one for me there's my inclination is still she's dead well she'd be 80 now right so but she's dead and it was drug related but then i think she got so lost her moral compass got so compromised i don't know She could have just left. She could have just snitched.
2: I mean, it's sort of like everything kind of got opened up. Has it made you feel mad that you didn't know or that she didn't share with you?
0: Didn't make me feel mad. It made me feel, I don't know, sometimes sad and sometimes a little embarrassed that this was someone I thought I knew so well And clearly I knew like one, a sliver. I knew a sliver of her. And that sliver was really real. I don't want to diminish it in in any way. And the sliver was all that was wonderful.
1: I think it was more than a sliver. It was like a half moon. (laughs) A half moon, okay. (laughs) A sliver, I think, belittles the light, and I don't think the light was a sliver. No. No, you're,
0: you're right, I guess. But, you know, the ways in which we want to have role models and heroes and that we're so desperate for those figureheads or models when we don't really often have a full picture. And maybe that's okay. Like with all the dry house kids, maybe that's totally fine. She was Ma and she was real to them. And she and Michelle really created this world that made them feel safe and embraced and like they had worth. And maybe that's enough. And maybe if we'd never done this podcast, it's like we'd still have our folk hero. And I don't know. Did we do her a disservice?
2: I don't think so. No? You think we did her a disservice? I I mean, I have a real journalistic bent, but Uh I think revealing truths is always the right thing to do. (laughs) And I think it's also allowed people an opportunity to reminisce about that time. Both the good and the bad in a way that, to me, feels productive and helpful and thinking about the future. I think that it can be perhaps unhealthy to too much live in nostalgia of the past without acknowledging also the hard parts about it or the things that weren't great. And so I think looking back at a full picture helps balance that period of time. There were also a lot of
1: people holding on to secrets and that doesn't always feel good sometimes. So I think allowing people to stick a pin in those secrets and kind of let them out, I think is hopefully healthy for them and, you know, this was a long time ago and I hope that they don't get judged for their honesty, but no, I don't think we've done her disservice.
0: I've also worried that I've done myself a disservice by being so open and honest. I mean, let's face it, I did some pretty stupid, embarrassing shit. That came up in particular when we played the episodes for friends and family. Milton, Jamie's dad, wept when he heard the one about our drug bust. But it was listening with my brother that surprised me. It brought up these feelings of needing to protect my story in a way I didn't expect.
2: You recently listened to many of these episodes with your brother and niece. Can you describe what that was like and how that made you feel?
0: For the most part, it was great. And they loved it, and and it was really fun because my grandniece, 13-year-old niece, was also listening to this, and I loved hearing her perspective on stuff. The only episode that was hard was the episode that really talked about me, my story, and that was cringe-worthy. I mean, literally sitting in the living room with them all listening and just kind of wanting to, like, if my head could have gone inside my shell. My brother's reaction was, did you really have to say all that? You know, couldn't you have protected yourself a little bit?
2: And I'm going to blame it all on Patty. <laughs> <laughs> Did that help you better understand people who, whose reactions have been that they don't want Marcia's story told? I
0: think there's really only been one person who believes very strongly that she's out there and that her privacy should be protected and that we should not be doing this. I, you know, throughout this whole process, it's been a dance. It's been a very delicate dance of, because while I have been upset by quite a few of the things that I've heard and learned about Marsha, there is a piece of me that does want to maintain, not destroy her folk hero status.
1: I think she is still a folk hero. I mean, but it is this question of like, if you've done something bad, does that erase the good?
0: Even though aspects of this project have been tough, it has been a deeply satisfying experience to process all of this with Jamie. Sometimes hard, but
1: overall, really rewarding. It is a pretty rare opportunity. Making this podcast with my mom has given me greater insight into
2: how our past has influenced my present it seems like a lot of your parenting decisions, Jamie, have been, in some ways, not so loose. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I, they're so, they're, my kids are 10 and 12, so it's hard to know. They, of course, push back on certain things. On the other hand, I would play this for them, and I think other people might not, you know.
0: I want to ask the question a little differently. Mm-hmm. When you were thinking about becoming a parent, what were the things that you thought about as, I'm not going to do that, or this is what I think is going to be important when I raise my kids?
1: I don't know. I feel like around the drug stuff, I'm a little more protective. And like they ask, they say like, can we have a drink or can we, whatever. And I say, when you're 21, there's so many drugs, so much drugs and alcohol out there right now. And that there are the philosophies where people will come into the schools and say, tell your kids, don't touch the stuff. Like that you're just, as the parent, your line is no. I feel like I am shifting off of that a little bit because I don't think that's realistic. But having said that, I mean, when I was a very young teenager... I mean, I, we were, I was home high and drunk all the time. That didn't seem like a big deal.
0: I would say I was not aware.
1: I don't believe it. That you
0: were home drunk. Or high. Or high. You don't know how much pot we smoked or no. drugs we did. Well, because you didn't do them in front of me. So, no, I had no... And part of me thinks, eh, were they really that stoned all the time, or is this... uh <laughs> Yes. The other thing you I'd said... say
1: starting at 12, 12, Whoa. 13. Started That's with wine callers. Huh? That is pretty
0: young. That's why you're nervous about your kids, huh? Yeah.
1: I am nervous about my kids. But... Did I love living in the earth house? Absolutely. Like, did I love having the connection to the underground? Absolutely. Like, all of that stuff. Did I love the freedom, some of the freedom that I felt like we had? Absolutely. Probably I'm still angry about some things. But I don't think it takes away from my admiration and my sort of sense of respect for some of the choices that they made and I think that my sister and I think very fondly of our early childhood and think it was pretty damn cool.
2: Karen.
0: Yeah. um, (laughs) (laughs) She's angry. No, I'm not. It's more, no, has nothing to do with anger. It has to do with introspection and really being pushed you know, my, as my children will tell you, and my wife, I am a huge supporter of therapy. I really promote people being in therapy. I just don't do it myself, right? And it's not that I'm not introspective and kind of think about stuff, but trying to understand the impulsiveness, the invincibility, which I still have. I mean, it's like it's not like now I'm 72 years old and I don't feel invincible anymore. I still do in a lot of ways. That would probably make me do stupid shit sometimes. But I have been very aware of,
1: whoa, what were you thinking? My mom has also warned me that my time will come. That being a parent comes with blowback. Any frustration and anger I've had at my parents over how I was raised will come back to haunt me. When my kids get old enough, they'll have complaints about choices I made. I'm sure that's true. What do you think is the job of adult, what What do you think is the main job of adults when they have kids? Uh, to protect their kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know yet. Good answer. An orangutan. Okay, that's not a profession, that's another animal. <laughs> that's you have really high aspirations. Glad we, we must have raised you right. You want to be an animal. Animals go back to the land. So maybe I have raised you right. When I think of Marsha's good moments, I think of all the good trouble and fun she enabled, particularly when she went back to the land and started the mud farm. One of the things I've wanted to better understand is what happened to that time? The Back to the Landers were part of a movement. And it just doesn't exist today in the same way that it used to. Is it because we're less spontaneous? Too distracted? Too concerned about the future? Can it even be done today? It's something we asked Marco, who helped Marcia start the mud farm. Okay, Mark couple of 20-something
0: current 2020 hippie types kids come to you and say, we're thinking it's time to move back to the land. Things are just really too crazy here and we gotta, we gotta do something different. What would your advice be to them? Absolutely do it. You know what? This is something I showed Marcia. I go take the dice and throw them out and see what happens. If you don't try, you'll never know. If First of all, if there was Netflix and the internet, I may have never left the mud farm. (laughs) No, really, I mean, you know, there was that void for me. You know, I need that juice. You you would, and you do too. Yeah, so no, I would absolutely say, and don't go too far out, pay a little bit more. You you don't need a lot. Read Five Acres and Independence, rock and roll.
2: You've alluded to this before, Karen, but would you do it all again? Do you have any regrets, which is a word I know you don't like?
0: <laughs> I would absolutely do it all again. I hope I would do it a little smarter. I still long to go back to the land. I still believe even more so given environmental climate crisis that we have got to figure out how to live differently on this very fragile planet planet that we have. I would not be so naive to think I was going to break out of the capitalist system. I would be much more intentional about who I brought into my community. We were not at all You know, somebody could show up in our yard one day and say, Hey, I'm here. Oh, what's your name? Come on, move in. There's, you know, it's like I would not do that again. Or I would at least interrogate them a little more before inviting them in. There's a part of me that secretly hopes that at some point Jamie and David will say, this is really fucked up, and we're going to take a break and get us some goats and learn how to make goat cheese and pull out of this for a while. Absolutely.
1: What about you, Grady? Would you like to live on a commune or in a house with multiple families or multiple people?
2: Maybe. Maybe. But maybe not, because the toilets would probably get clogged
1: a lot. It's
0: a valid point. For us, telling Marsha's story in all its complexity is an act of love. To look at what she's done, the good, the bad, the righteous and misguided, and to recognize her as a whole person. But while we were telling her story, we were also investigating it which was really hard. Detective work was definitely not in our wheelhouse.
2: In what ways do you feel like you have failed to solve this mystery or failed on this journey, and in what ways do you feel like you've succeeded?
1: Well, we don't know what happened. So if somebody ultimately is asking that question, the answer is, I don't know. It's not to say that this podcast can't solve the case once it comes out because I think that does happen. I
0: have a hard time with those kind of binaries, right? Success, failure, like I, certainly one of the things we've learned about Marsha and how complicated people can be that it's not a binary. So I think given all the limitations that we were working with, I think we were fairly successful at uncovering the range of possibilities of what happened to her and why they all in some ways hold validity. And I think we were really successful in showing that the police did not do a very good job back in the 80s. And that there are a lot of opportunities now to follow up on some of the stories and some of the people that could still lead us to what happened.
1: What happens with tips? Like, let's fast forward.
0: The tip line would probably be the best, unless they wanted to speak directly to me or something then you could point them my way.
1: Because you might um, get some tips.
0: I hope so. I mean, I think... Especially, like, some of the deeper drug stuff. There would be... I think there would
1: be word in that community of what happened. Someone knows. Someone knows. Yeah. For me, it was never really about solving this case. It was about looking at a cultural moment that was hugely influential. And a person who was so important to so many. But I will admit... It's frustrating to get to this point and still not have all the answers. We do want to make it possible for anyone to share tips with us or with Deputy Chief P.J. Scott and the Morgantown Police Department. And we'll put more information in the show notes for how to do that. date today? The date is 30th. April 30th. Driving back from West Virginia to New
2: York City. Yeah, I I mean, lots to think about. How has this changed the way that the two of you think about each other or your understanding of each other? I'm not
0: sure it has for me. I mean, I said right from the beginning the reason I did this was because I would get to do this with Jamie, and that was... The Marsha stuff was intriguing and I knew it would be fun, but it was more the idea of doing this project with, with Jamie. And I, and I worked very hard initially to be very like, I'm just along for the ride. This is really your thing. You're the professional here. And in large part, because she consistently pushed back on that, and made me feel like, no, you're actually a partner in this. And was so inclusive throughout this process of making sure that I was a part of it. That that did shift. So I'm ready for the next podcast.
1: <laughs> now we know how to do this. Now we're ready. Now we're like, actually, <laughs> we've actually got this.
0: All right, that's actually how we felt when we <laughs> built the dome. When it was all done, it was like... Okay. Now we know how to build the house. Let's do this. Like oh, you build the foundation for the fireplace before you build the house. Or you you know just like now we're ready. And I adore her. And all the things I say in the first episode about, you know, how smart and organized and driven, you know, she that, all of those things are true. It's been a fabulous ride. And I can't believe we're at this point.
1: And it is hard to tell your own
0: oh my life God.
1: story. You have a, a lot to lose when you put out your life story like this. And it's scary. And it's, it's very transparent and uncomfortable and exciting and fun and it's so many different things at the same time that sometimes it can be a little intense to, to live in that bubble, but it's been an honor, <laughs> an honor and a privilege. This whole process has really felt
0: like a reunion. It's put us back in touch with people we hadn't talked to in years, and it introduced us to people who instantly felt like friends. And it's allowed us to introduce Marcia to people who didn't know her. On one of our recording trips down to West Virginia, we spent an evening with some of my oldest, dearest friends from my back-to-the-land days. That night, we did what we always do when we're together. We drank, sang, smoked some weed, and cooked a big meal. And this time, we also talked about Marcia. But still, we'll never be able to capture her. That's something you could say that no matter how many people you interview, one can never what was so capture special? the essence of Marsha. I only Marcia. met Marsha a few times, so what was it about Marsha that everyone? What was special? Well, you know, you have to I be. There, there's many, many things, but you know, um, listen, see, she's wishing she would have a
2: recorder because this would be.
0: Recorder. Oh fuck, man! <laughs> oh God! Karen. you there, haven't been recording this was whole it thing. What Marsha?
1: Tell me. So
0: everybody kind of described describes their relationship with Marsha as though she was mm-hmm. she was one of my best friends. Oh.
1: So. That
0: in, in itself breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've interviewed enough. We've interviewed enough people, Jamie and I, at this point, that it's certainly given us a much more nuanced view of who she was. But in that. Everybody, you know, people are complicated. You know, you can't make make an outline and expect Uh. human life to fit in. Completely. It's a big story. It's complex. There and it's not a, just about Marsha, right? It's about... It's about society and well, humans. Yeah. I've been with people like that. Yeah. And those people make you want to live. I hope <laughs> we've learned something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. Do you realize it's been almost 50 We 50- did. We learned that we love each other. We love... No matter exactly you know, how we are, it's been 50, almost 50 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you don't find that many places. I, I think
0: we learned that being, hum, you know, being human meant that we would accept each other and for, for yep. whatever we were in love, truly love each other. And, With all our warts. Warts and, ha- and everything <laughs> and faults.
1: Next year will be the 35th anniversary of Marcia's disappearance. That's a lot of time gone. But she's still here.
0: I still feel Marcia's spirit a lot when I'm out protesting at a demonstration, when I talk to the Dry Housers and hear about how they're living their lives, and when I look at my adolescent grandkids who get all fresh and sassy. Marcia would love them. I also find myself looking for Marcia, like when I've gone to see my friend Jake's Grateful Dead cover band. I can't help
1: feeling like she's there, singing along with me. If you're out there listening, Marsha, hey, call us. And I hope you got a kick out of hearing us spill all our secrets. I Was Never There is a Wonder Media Network production. It's hosted by me, Jamie Zellermeyer, and my mom, Karen, and it's based on our lives. It's produced by Allie Wollner,
0: Lindsay Cradawill, Adesua Agbonile, and Liz Smith.
1: It's edited by Jenny Kaplan and Liz Smith.
0: Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan, Jamie Zellermeyer, and Karen Zellermeyer. Production assistance
1: by Alessandra Tejeda. Our music supervisor is Sarah Tembechu. The theme music is Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver, performed by Brandy Carlisle.
0: Special thanks to the ramdas.org digital media library. The clip of ramdas comes courtesy of the library.
1: If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate your help in getting the word out. Send the show to a friend and leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to help others discover I Was Never There.
0: It was a nice visit. It was a great visit. Okay, let's turn this off and put the air conditioning on.